the WTF1 post-race podcast. Well, the British Grand Prix has been and gone, and whilst Max Verstappen now has a nearly 100-point gap at the top of the standings, the battle behind is intensifying. Lando Norris and McLaren back on the podium with Lewis Hamilton in third for Mercedes, Oscar Piastri with a career-best result. But what on earth happened to the Ferraris? Aston Martin as well, seeming a bit down on pace. Plenty to discuss then, and what was actually... I thought a bit of a dull race until the pit stops and then made juicier by Kevin Magnussen's hass conking out and causing a safety car. So uh, thank you, K-Mag. So let's discuss it all. Alongside me for the next 40 minutes or so, as always, is Callan O'Keefe. And we're joined this week by a very special guest. It's good timing as well. It's McLaren F1 reserve driver and current IndyCar championship leader, not to mention the 2021 IndyCar champion, Alex Palau. Hi, Alex. Welcome. How are you? Thank you. Yeah, I'm great, man. Excited to be here. Thanks for joining us. Whereabouts in the world are you at the moment? I'm in Indianapolis now, getting ready for uh, Toronto that we have this weekend coming up. But uh, yeah, excited to be here. Nice one. Now, I can't take any credit for getting you on the show. Callan actually put some work in this week and it's all down to him. Finally. I mean, like I have to be useful at some point. Um, But yeah, Alex, thank you very much for joining us. Obviously, you're kind of like the... uh, well, you're the, you're the dominant force in IndyCar at the moment. There's one guy who could probably beat Max Verstappen. It's you. So surely there must be Formula One teams on the uh, on the phone for you. Oh man, um, I wish, I wish. But honestly, it's been it's been a great uh, season so far. Um, I don't think we're as dominant as it looks on on the points and on paper. Um, but yeah, we had amazing races, uh, three wins in a row. Hopefully, we can make it even more. But uh, yeah, it's been, as I said, a great season. And now also, obviously, you've, you've gone into to team owning as well. One of my drivers who I actually work with is racing against your team in Euro Cup 3, Palau Motorsport, and you guys have just come off the back of your best result in Monza. How's that been really like, you know, looking after a team, taking it yourself the other side of the fence? Has that been a new challenge for you? Oh, yeah. I mean, you can see that I'm losing hair. Every time we've ever made an excuse to a team boss now, you're dealing with all of them, aren't you? Yeah, I am. I am. It's tough. It's not as easy as it looks uh, when you're on the driver's side. But honestly, it's been great. It's been great to do it together with my dad. It's like a family, just 100% in-house and it's uh, it's beautiful. So yeah, we're having fun. Uh, we're having good results and hopefully uh, we can get our first win soon. Uh, we scored like a couple of P2s. Uh, so yeah, we're not far now. How far do you guys go back? How do you know each other? I think we, we first started racing together in karting. It was Braga yeah. 2010, maybe, the World Champs. Yeah, I would say it was 2010, 2011. Yeah. Yeah, it was good time timing. Ago. Yeah. And obviously, obviously everything you learned back you, then. Man. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was, I think that's probably why my career peaked, unfortunately. But it's nice <laughs> to know that you, you know, you've gone on to do great things. It is, it makes that year look good. And I mean, if, if you look back at the drivers we raced against, it was, I think it was really strong. You know, that year was, was yeah, Olman was world champion. Verstappen was, was P2. I was P3. Gasly P4. Hillbrand P5. I don't think you really had the equipment to compete for a world championship. The fact that you were up the front was, was impressive. I still remember the, you know, especially the second year we did. Yeah, you were so fast at times, man. It was ridiculous. I remember seeing your name and I couldn't pronounce it. They were like, who's this Palau guy? What's he, what's he doing in the mix? He needs to disappear. But um, yeah, they were good times. And obviously, you, know, you, didn't, you, didn't, you didn't really take the traditional route, let's say, did you? Um, you know, what, what sort of steered you towards IndyCar? 
Um, it was well, honestly, I've always been a fan of IndyCar. I think IndyCar, it's it's great. Um, I mean, they they used to do twenty races. Now we do like seventeen, eighteen, which is still a ton. Um, but they used to race in Japan, in Brazil, like in overseas, let's say, compared to uh, what we do now that it's only in US and Canada. But um, it was a great championship. I think in my mind, I thought it was the only uh, route that I could take um, that I didn't really need all that political help, uh, let's say. And and it was still tough. Like I needed to be lucky to get here. But honestly, it was started in Europe. Uh, tried to do F3 there, GP3 there. Didn't really go really well uh, in terms of results. Then I went to Asia in Japan. Had a lot of uh, good championships there and then had the opportunity to come here and it's been uh, fun. You've had, uh, we've been watching your career and it's getting bigger and bigger over, well, I'm based in the UK and Europe as well. Everyone's beginning and already knows a lot about what you've done and what you're achieving and we're going to come on a bit later a bit more about the current season in IndyCar uh, but first of all obviously it was the British Grand Prix at the weekend in Formula One and you have uh, a, an ever-increasing connection to Formula One it seems particularly at the moment uh, with McLaren and, and this was timed very well what a weekend for them <laughs> The the upgrades coming in for, for Norris last time out in Austria, then again and uh, for Piastri as well. They're on second and third in qualifying and Lando Norris taking the lead in turn one. The the crowd absolutely roaring. It may we may have all well known that it probably wasn't gonna win it, but for those few laps, sensational. I mean, Alex, you're you're linked closely with McLaren. That must have been pretty cool to, to witness. Oh yeah, it was very very cool. I wish I was there, honestly. Um, but uh, it was we knew that we had some updates, uh, especially coming to Red Bull Ring. Uh, they showed really promising pace in qualifying. Maybe lacked a little bit in the race, and then there was some more updates uh, for Silverstone, uh, which was an amazing qualifying. But then you never know how is it going to be on the race. But honestly, man, it was. Uh, a lot closer than I thought. It was a lot better for McLaren's. It would have been, in my opinion, a double podium uh, for Lando and for Oscar without that safety car. But still, I mean, P2 and P4, it's great. And as you said, uh, I guess it felt amazing for Lando to lead uh, and a home GP um, in front of Max. Every Almost everybody knew that Max still had had a bit more chances but you never know like you never know it's racing so he lasted longer than i thought he was gonna last i mean i was sat there and i was like end of lap two lap three it's done and then we got to like lap five obviously is when he and i was like actually to lead for five laps to get into your rhythm that quickly because there was actually that point like end of lap one lap two where he started to pull away and i was like okay maybe max was recharging whatever but it gave you like that little bit of hope isn't it and it's 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 like you said it's amazing to see obviously lando leading it's hopefully again like a, a confidence statement for him and yeah obviously hopefully he texts you to say thank you because your hard work away from the track is also paying <laughs> off <laughs> i would like to say that but honestly no i i, I cannot really help too much the, the team uh, at the moment but uh, i was at miami uh it was a tough weekend for the team and i thought it was my fault uh there because yeah. it was my first weekend <laughs> but uh, oh, no. no honestly it's been great to be part of uh, lots of learning. And once my IndyCar season is done, I'll be able to uh, help if they need it uh, and be a bit more with the team. 
I mean, it's just amazing to see the, the jump they've taken as well compared to the start of the year. And, and it seems when when teams make a step forward at the moment, they take quite a big step forward. I mean, look at Aston Martin at the start of the year, uh, McLaren, obviously, in the last couple of races too. And you look at, you know, I think Alpine was saying, you know, we're bringing upgrades and we've, we're a bit worried because we need to make big jumps every time, it seems. But one of the main things uh, in the race that was a big talk about Callum was was the tyre strategy and whether, you know, going on to the soft compound tyre towards the end of the race after during the safety car period and whether that might have been the better choice. I remember being in the commentary box and nearly ripping my hair out because Lando Norris and McLaren and Piastri weren't going on to the soft compound tyre. It just didn't make sense to me. And Dan actually asks, could McLaren have maybe saved a soft tyre set as a precaution for Lana to use after the safety car rather than using the qualifying? Could he have been a bit more comfortable in front of Hamilton? Because it got a bit dicey. Yeah, it did, didn't it? I think it's 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 a gamble, isn't it? You're playing performance versus durability. And if the soft tyre had gone off for whatever reason, that would have been a necessary like negative point compared to using the hard tyre. I think... You know, obviously, it's it's. I think they had a pace advantage over the McLaren, uh, the, the Mercedes. Sorry, anyway, you know, the McLarens looked very strong all weekend, and it's that for me was like a consolidation of of points and a consolidation of position. And it was a well, we know that we've got a little bit of an edge. Let's sacrifice that edge because we have track positioning anyway. And then, you know, if if he manages to stay close, eventually he's going to degrade because he's on the soft tire anyway. I don't know what you think, Alex. Maybe you have a bit more insight, but that that's what it seemed like from the outside. It was a rather than like an attack for Piastri and, and for Norris, it was a consolidation, bank the points, bank the podium and maybe capitalise on the end if, if Hamilton goes off. Yeah, honestly, I didn't really have more uh, information than what we saw from home. But uh, this year, we've been struggling quite a lot on Tardek. Um, so I think not having a brand new soft, uh, it's very risky. I mean, your P2, you know you have a bit more pace than Hamilton, a bit less than Max. And if you put a use soft tires from qualifying that you put like some pretty quick last, maybe you don't get to the end and you finish P7 because of tire deck. It makes everybody look uh, really bad. So I thought uh, they did the best they thought, obviously, um, for their car. Um, so, yeah, I, I was glad that Hamilton couldn't get him on the first couple of laps because it got really, really close um, but Lando did a great job uh, defending and being uh, in front of him. Uh, Marcos says uh, McLaren will be the only team to win a race apart from Red Bull this year. Do we think? Could Ooh, it that's a bold prediction. Well, that's a bold yeah, prediction. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> well. It's crazy. It's crazy that now there's uh, comments like that because if you look at the comments after the first race, it was like, <laughs> oh, maybe they don't even get a point uh, these years. So I think. Um, the rules this year, apart of Max, if you take out Max out of the way, I think he's on another level. Um, it would be really, really interesting. Uh, and it's been an interesting uh, year so far between the midfield, let's say. It is so tight, isn't it? And as you say, when you take Red Bull and Verstappen out, it's actually a really good fight in the championship, isn't it? Um, but one of the other takeaways I thought that was quite interesting from the Grand Prix was Ferrari, Callan. And oh. we really, I mean, we expected oh. more. 
the S word. I can't bring myself to say it anymore. The strategy. Oh, um, no. But even as well, there's a, it seems to me, and, and I think, Alex, you know Carlos fairly well. Um, Rob has asked, the, the, the inner team shenanigans with Sainz and Leclerc at Ferrari must be worth some chatter. Sainz appears um, from afar to, to not really be having the same support and priority maybe that he deserves. It seems to be getting a little bit frosty between those two. I'll let you take this one, Alex. You, uh-huh. you, crack hey, on. you go first. <laughs> I've said so many bad things about Ferrari on this podcast. Oh, like, you? Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, you go first. You take some heat first. Oh man, honestly, yeah, it was um, it was good for for us uh, at McLaren. Um, I think they had more potential than what they did, um, and it's tough as a as a team to be struggling in in always let's say the same areas like strategies and decisions and uh you could hear i think there was uh right on on safety car that carlos wanted to put the softs and he was like uh i'll let you choose and they didn't really understand each other and at the end he stayed on the hearts and lost like four or five places so it's tough they're in a in a bad uh moment i would say at the moment um but uh yeah i mean it's it's painful to see sometimes but at the same time it's good for my side for my client side so here's, here's a controversial quote not controversial question but an interesting I'd, I'd really like to get your insight on this you know you see ferrari and they they don't really have a defined number one but they always tend to lean towards leclerc you know you've built a really successful team around you, you won championships why do you think, despite the fact that Carlos clearly has the speed and he has, you know, he has the intellect, he has the abilities, integrate himself well into Ferrari? Why do you think that they still keep backing Leclerc over over Carlos? Or there's just that little edge where they give him? I don't know. I don't really know, honestly. But um, I would agree with you. He's um, he's in front of points now, like ten points more than than Charles. Uh, he's been really consistent. He's always there, like. Um, if the car is good, he's there. If the car is bad, he's still trying to maximize the opportunities. So I don't really know why. I don't think it was the case last year. Um, but this year, I think we saw many races where he's not the priority. So I don't know if it's just coincidence or that's how they are going to work from now on. But uh, yeah, it's painful to see sometimes. Yeah, well, Carlos is actually the, the highest man in the drivers' championship uh, without a podium yet, unbelievably. So that's that's his level of consistency in scoring big points. You know, okay, he hasn't got that podium yet, but he is always making sure that Ferrari picks up some points. But to come away with what between them three points uh, at the end of a Grand Prix is, is not sort of Ferrari yeah. level, really. It's not acceptable, is it? Um, so clearly, uh, scratching their heads. Um, th- nothing to do with the racing, but um, the the slight Ferrari link here. Their reserve driver, one of their reserves driver, uh, Robert Schwartzman, um, <laughs> is a bit. Of, I don't know if you've seen this, Alex, but he has released a rap single. Um, I so, but I haven't listened to oh, it. So. I, who you had that must. for Silverstone Bingo? <laughs> I mean, like. I, I text you because I think he released it on the Thursday or the Friday, and I text you straight away, Harry. I was like. Surely this is like no, this hasn't happened. Because he, <laughs> where's he gone? He's just become a rapper. I mean, it's all real. It's like high quality stuff as well. It's like is it's it? old. It's yeah, it's not bad. It's pro, you know, like music videos, fully produced. It's not like no. he's not done it in his bedroom. He's like fully produced. He's got a music video. Like, and it it slaps. It's it's a tune. I'm gonna okay. say it. it's it's a banger. 
If it's not on oh, your wow. gym playlist, you're not hitting PBs. That's and the way it's it like, works. Okay, there's, a, there's a full music video as well. He's got like a full music video and everything. Yeah. He looks proper. It's yeah. proper. It's on his He's Instagram. Got the lighting. It's called Active. And I mean, there's only released like 30 seconds, but he's just sort of saying level up over and over again. So and active. <laughs> level up. Active. Active. <laughs> already, okay. It's already a banger. I'll have a look after. So, I mean, I was going to say, my, my, my question here was um, uh, for you, Alex, have, have, would you have a side career? Is there a backup? Have you got any yes, kind of hidden Yes, but it's not going to be singing like no. that for no. sure. No, <laughs> it's a no-no. Yeah. No. Um, I don't know. Fire juggling? Maybe. Fire juggling, uh, I think acrobatics, you know, something. Acrobatics, I, I could try. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, oh. you, I did... don't know. It, it's tough. You know, like a lot of drivers, when you're growing up and whatever, you I, I think you either have like the drivers that they, they give everything to motorsport or you have the ones that like just diversify and do everything and you kind of see the difference. Were you one of those drivers that was just so engrossed in everything with motorsport? Or did you like, did you have any other talents that you had to give up when you were a kid? Um, no, I just didn't. I was really bad at sports, football, basketball, <laughs> soccer, everything. So I was really bad. The only thing I knew how to do sometimes was racing and driving so yeah i just put everything in there but at the same time i i did a coffee shop with uh with my, now my wife in back in 2018 when i was racing in japan so i was diversifying a little really? bit oh yeah. no way um, now we sold it. yeah i i'm not crazy good but i think i can do a little bit that is a talent, though. That is a real talent. I always think, how the hell are they drawing all these things on, on the foam oh, on the top of your it's coffee? Practice. It's practice. Well, it's yeah, practice. Yeah. It's practice. Practice makes better. Well, I think you chose the right career in the end. And hey, Schwartzman, yeah, you, you, to him. he's you, got to diversify. I did. <laughs> Sometimes it's difficult finding the right thing to wear. You might see something you like the look of, but find it doesn't fit you correctly. Or you might find something that's perfect for the office, but just won't cut it on a night out. Looking good makes you feel good. That's why you need to check out my new favorite clothes brand, Roan. Roan's commuter collection is the most comfortable, breathable, and flexible set of products known to man. And here's why. Their comfortable four-way stretch fabric provides breathability and flexibility that leaves you free to enjoy what life throws your way from your commute to work to your 18 holes of golf. And if, like me, you hate ironing, you'll love these clothes even more because they're completely hassle-free. With Roan's wrinkle release technology, wrinkles disappear as you stretch and wear the products. It's that easy. What's more, with Gold Fusion Anti-Odor technology, you'll be smelling fresh and clean all day long. And on top of that, Roan is 100% machine washable, so you can ditch the dry cleaner altogether. Roan were kind enough to send me some clothes, and I love that they're both comfy and smart. Something that's incredibly difficult to find. So why don't you give Roan a try? Their commuter collection can get you through any workday and straight into whatever comes next. Head to roan.com WTF1 and use promo code WTF1 to save 20% off your entire order. That's 20% off your entire order when you head to rhone.com slash WTF1 and use the code WTF1. It's time to find your corner office comfort. Um, well, speaking of, um, you know, entertainment, we had um, we had Hollywood on the grid uh, at the British Grand Prix. We had an extra team. They're, they're filming the, the Brad Pitt and... Uh, uh, Brad Pitt Hollywood film. They're ba- it's, they're really cool cars. It's all them in person. They're basically F two modified cars um, uh, to look like F one cars by Mercedes, which is kind of cool. But then, and you must be seeing the same in IndyCar, I imagine, Alex, because 
uh, th- since Drive to Survive, the the profile of F one obviously has gone up massively, but I think it's had a, a bit of a trickle down effect to, to motorsport in general too, and across across different categories. We had um, a bit of a, a bit of an issue on on the grid. Um, Martin Brundle, the the Sky F one presenter always does his grid walks always has some awkward moments done it for years and he's you know very famously uh, recently what megan the stallion what a couple of years ago in austin re- refused to give him one and this time it was cara delavine the model who was on the grid and he went up to her and asked if um you know she was enjoying it could he do an interview there was a, a re- an f1 representative there that said no and then he asked anyway and she said no thank you no i don't want to do it and that and it's all kicked off Everyone thinking is Cara Delevingne. You know how rude! Can't believe she's doing that. The access she's got. Do you have the same thing on your grid, Alex? Uh, no, our grid is a bit different. There's a ton of people. But... Cara Delevingne was definitely not at Mid Ohio, was she? Let's be real. <laughs> no, she was <laughs> like in, Indy 500 or something. Is it a bit more? You know, a bit, are you well, having celebs around? We get quite a lot more. Yeah, um, and you can see that that it's. Um, I don't remember who was this year. Um, yeah, I cannot remember now, but you, you, you can see the first quite focused person on, and then, have, and then yeah. like 10 people around and trying they to They had the sure guy from Star Wars, didn't they, in the film doing the... Yeah, we did. Yeah, yes. Doing, was, did. I don't know if he said driver start your engines or if he did the checkered flag or not. But I think he did them. the green flag and yeah. Yeah, something else. Green flag, yeah. sorry, yeah. But um, I mean, I, I think in, in IndyCar a lot more people get access to the grids and stuff. Like mm. there's plenty of people, but it's not celebrities and stuff. So, well, so, so this is the thing. I mean, obviously you're, you're a driver, so you're there on the grid doing your job and you, you're getting in the zone. You're about to perform. And we see it in the IndyCar coverage we watch. I mean, I, I don't really see many interviews that are carried out on the grid in the buildup because you, you know, you have rolling starts, don't you? So you can't really do yeah. that. But, even when you're preparing in the car for the rolling start, are, are you expected to, to interact with media before getting into the car? Yeah, I would say that we're a bit softer on that sense uh, where F1, it's, um, and I understand I'm not saying it's wrong or anything like that, but F1 seems like once they're on the grid, you normally don't really talk to drivers unless they are walking from, mm. let's say, the anthem to the car. Um, once they're around the car, they don't talk to them. For us... Unless we have our helmet on, the media just has all the access uh, to the drivers and we have to give it, which is good. It's plenty fine because everybody has to do the same. So, yeah, um, yeah I would just say it's different cultures. So so what do we think then, Callan, uh, when it comes to Cara Delevingne and Martin Brundle and any celeb that finds himself on the F1 grid? Should they be required to speak to him and media because they've been given this amazing access well, not necessarily because, you know, I I find it even more cringe when you get a celebrity and Martin Brundle sticks a microphone in the face. Who are you supporting? Uh, uh, I love Mercedes. And they just say the first team that they can see because just to have that access doesn't mean they're necessarily super fans of, of Formula One. They're just going for a day out because, of, you know, that's the the criteria of what they're access, you know, what they have access to. And I think I think if they want to give an interview, they they should. But equally, you know, it's kind of like, it might be networking or work or whatever, but it also could just be like a day off for them. So why why force them to talk about something they don't know? You know, I, if, if I was at a football game, for example, and someone stuck a microphone in my face and wanted me to speak about football, I wouldn't have a clue what I'm saying. So I'd probably shy away from it to stop myself looking like an idiot. So 
I, I think just because you have the access doesn't mean they should be forced to do it. This, you know, the people with their own views, they're having, they're enjoying their time, their experience. And I think if they want to, yes, but yeah, it doesn't really bother me. Cara Delevingne probably couldn't have given me that much access to the race. I think I'd rather hear Martin Rundle talk when I'm looking for insight. That's the thing, right? I don't know why people kick off so much. So I did a bit of reading into what are there actual rules because people seem to think that there is a rule and there's this the Brundle clause where I think I think the media have spun this up to basically say you have to talk to Martin Brundle. But according to an article um, back in 21, this must have been after Megan Thee Stallion, F1 said they were going to clamp down on grid access for bodyguards in the wake of the incident. Officials believe the grid is a secure enough environment to mean they're not required. While celebrities on the grid are not required to give interviews to the media, they will be asked to be courteous should they decline to speak, which I think, Alex, seems fair enough. Yeah, I would say that it's fair. And as Cullen said, that... Um maybe there's somebody that never watched F1 and they just get invited and they don't have to love F1, honestly. They just get access. It's good for F1 because there's more uh, interaction with their fans and just more exposure. Um, But yeah, I don't think it looks good when you interview somebody that has no clue on F1 and then all the F1 fans start like, oh my God, why did they interview him or her? (laughs) So um, yeah, but at the same time, I also understand that if you are invited to that, at least um, just to say, "Hey, I have no clue," but I, I don't know, it would look what, awkward as well. So. What do you, What do you think? You're we've you've had like the sports side of things. You're part of the the media side, Harry. What do you reckon? What's your view on it? I, 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 I'm actually kind of, I mean, in agreement with you. I mean, like, oh, you know, I, I would probably try it and be, oh, let's get Cara Delevingne on, see if she'll say something. You know, maybe she might she might actually surprise everybody and go, oh, yeah, my exactly. God, yeah. You know, I've, I've watched F1 since I was a kid and I, you know, I love it. Which And then people will go, oh, my God, amazing. But at the same time, she said no. And she did it in a fairly polite way. I mean, compared to when it was Megan the Stallion, who was way more like not even acknowledging Martin Brothers' existence, she looked at him and went, no, sorry, like, no, thank you. You know, fair enough. She's been yeah, invited. Once, once she says, no, thank you, you can say, yeah. all right, that's good. Yeah. So let's go and, yeah. I think I think it, get, it gets, I always find the grid a bit awkward anyway. Like, I, I even when I'm there, I don't, you know, and I'm, and I'm, a, a technic, I'm technically a professional broadcaster. <laughs> I still, I'm still not entirely sure if I'm allowed on the grid or where I can go or what I can do or don't touch anything, don't move out of line. So, you know, I just get in and out and, and don't cause a fuss because at the end of the day, it's not, you know, you're there to watch the racing and enjoy that, right, aren't you? So that's, that's what I think. I, I think celebrities, if they can say a few words, then great. If not, no, don't make it awkward, you know, just, just move on and, and find somebody else. Like, I think we had, there was a guy called Sam Ryder on the grid who represented the UK in Eurovision uh, a couple of years ago. And, and well, he came second, but we then obviously hosted it because of everything that happened in Ukraine. And um, he also sung the national anthem at the British Grand Prix last year. He was there on the grid this year and he was interviewed several times and we had him on, on our coverage as well on the BBC. And he was brilliant. He knew his stuff. He was talking about, oh, I just love the fast to Martin with these new upgrades and their new factory. And everyone was like, hang on. All right. You could, you could be a pundit if you wanted. It was you brilliant. Can, you can come back. You, yeah. you, you got that lifetime pass. So I don't know. It's a real mix. But I just think, you know, why make it, why make it awkward? Just, just move on. You know, it's not, no one's, no one's getting hurt by this. Just no. it's Cara Delevingne. You know why she's there. Move on. Everyone knows. Um, well, that was some of the big fallout from the Grand Prix. I mean, I feel like, you know, Verstappen won it. Amazing. 11 consecutive 
wins for Red Bull Racing. And Alex, that have, is there anything that you can compare that to in IndyCar? Oh, no, for sure not. But even though they have a great car, for sure, they, they have the best car, whatever. But man, the level of precision that the team has on pit stops, strategy calls, and max to be able to win so much and always put the car up there. Um, I don't think it's easy. Um, and yeah, I think it's, he's doing an extraordinary job. And, and as you can see, it's not the car doing everything with, with his teammate. He's just on another level at the moment. And he well, only made one mistake the whole weekend and that was driving into the pit wall. Yeah. That's yeah. literally the only mistake he made. And then he still went out and still sucked it, on pole. It's the so only mistake he's made all year. It's, it's, it's kind of nice to see him make those little mistakes there, isn't it? Because if, if you actually look at how he puts together a weekend, as you said, Alec, it's, it's basically flawless. The whole team, everything, it just works. And the moment he has to deliver, he delivers. It was kind of nice to see like a human moment where I was like, ah, he does make mistakes. Maybe someone else might win a race this year if, if something goes wrong, but he needs to not make it on, you know, leaving the garage in Q2. Yeah, but I think it was probably the most pressure moment of the weekend where he was only three lap, three minutes, which is one lap. Um, he went on used tires when some other people was on new tires. He just broke the front wing, leaving out of the pits. And you could see on his face that he was like, oh, whatever, they'll change it. Uh, I'm just going to go P1 again. And he fast, goes and boom, P1. So, yeah. <laughs> Nothing bothers so that good. man. Nothing phases yeah. him. Uh, well, look, before we want to talk a bit more about Alex and your career, but we always do the WTF1 podium at the end of, uh, of every race, where basically we all need to give our star performer of the race our worst performer of the race and our biggest surprise performer of the race. Okay. So we'll start with star performer and I'll go first. You can go first. I'm going to go. You never go first. I never go first. So I'm going to go first. I'm going to give you time to think. My star performer is a team and it has to be McLaren. Um, You know, and we can double up, Alex, because I, I have a suspicion on what you might say. Oh, we cannot? No, we can. No, we, we can, can. We can. can. Oh, yeah. we can. Okay. The look, okay, of, yeah, the look of shock in your face. Yeah, yeah. I was <laughs> like, man. So- <laughs> you went no. first, you invite me on, and you yeah. take my suggestion. What are you doing? Yeah, exactly. It's like, what's going on? So, so Alex, who's your star performer? <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. I agree with that one. McLaren, for sure. Callum? I, I, yeah, well, it's McLaren. But I think a special shout out to Oscar Piastri. I mean, he yeah. was on for his fight. He, because he didn't get the podium, maybe he's being kind of forgotten about. But what a weekend he put together. I mean, you know, if it wasn't if it wasn't for the safety guy, it would have been a double McLaren podium, which shows the strength. But yeah, what a what a job from him. And, and I think kind of like the first time he's announced himself that actually he has the, the capability to do it. So let's see what confidence he takes from that. Yeah, I agree completely. Okay, um, worst performer. Okay, this is a bit... I'm, I'm not going to say... The, the guy who I've normally usually say I normally he, I say, you he normally a, say he had a trouble free weekend <laughs> he did I so Nick DeVries hasn't exactly been oh he's constantly on the show wow been getting the highlights and I, but I feel like you know both Alpha Tauris were you know they're at the back they're you know nothing big happened but they were just yeah, you know they're off the pace anyone, they? so. exactly I'm actually gonna go for um oh I'm actually gonna go for like Lance Stroll this weekend just because i think it wasn't really on the pace and his, his fighting with gasly was just a bit i thought it was a bit a bit much you know really shoved him off and took to, took the position first time 
off the track and didn't give it back for ages, didn't get a penalty for it either. He just got a black and white flag, which I thought was a bit off. And then he finally got the penalty because he basically biffed Gasly off in, in the penultimate corner and gave him a puncture and that put, put the Alpine out of the race. So Stroll is my pick for worst performer. Alex, what about you? Can we also say a team here or no? Yeah, yeah, of course. You yeah, can, Whoever. You can, you say... can throw heat at anyone you want. Oh, anyone. I would say Ferrari in general, right? Like, um, I thought they had more pace than the results they got. Was it three points, as you said? So, yeah, Mm. I would say Ferrari there. Yeah, me too. I I was going to say Ferrari too. I think you expect so much more from from them, especially at a place like Silverstone. You know, it should be somewhere where the car works, the power unit works. It's it's like a baseline and it just just didn't look strong at all and really struggled to fight. So, unfortunate day for, uh, for the team from Maranello. Yeah, I think I've just become accustomed to them letting us down, really. So, uh, <laughs> so that's why. Once then. you get rid of the hope, the disappointment becomes much easier. We yeah, all know yeah. that. Yeah. Okay, biggest surprise performer of the Grand Prix. And I'm going to go for. I'm actually. Oh, oh, I don't know. Don't do it. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I was going to say Williams. Yeah, I'll go with Williams and Albon. I think. Again, uh, uh, I think he could have even done better if he had a better qualifying. Maybe I think that Williams is so fast in a straight line, no one could overtake it. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah. After you, Alex, I think I would say someone Oscar. come up with something different. I would say Oscar, honestly. Really? Um, yeah, sorry. Yeah, why not? I, yeah. He he was like a second and a half of Lando throughout the race. I mean, he was maintaining pace. Then two seconds, he was just there. And they were told not to fight, were they? As weren't they as well? Yeah. Start, so, so you never know what's what could have happened. Honestly, I think they had the same pace. Um, but still, I would say um, it was the first chance that he had with a good car, um, and he was just maintaining position, and he would have got his first podium without the safety car. So I would say Oscar was a big surprise. Mm. Yeah, and obviously we had Russell coming on the radio saying, oh, the, the McLaren's so fast on the hard tyre, like dropping him like a stone. And yeah. obviously, you know, George Russell comes with a pedigree. It's, it's Mercedes. So I agree with that. I think, though, again, special mention to Alban. He's He's been on a, a great run of form recently. He's doing a very good job in the world. And he's, he's just, there's just something building there. I mean, even, you know, even Sargent was closer by comparison um, and it, it just seems like maybe, hopefully, the tides are turning a little bit at Williams and things are improving. I say that now, every time I've said something on this podcast, it always goes against me to make me look like I have no idea what I'm talking about. So I'm going <laughs> to actually want to take it back and say, it just is what it is. It's been a bit of luck and then you go to the next race, <laughs> it Williams is going to be terrible. <laughs> it is what it is. Uh, yeah, it well, is to be fair, for Sergeant, career best 11th. So he's getting yeah. closer and closer to the point. So let's see if, exactly. uh, if Williams can continue that uh, in Hungary in a couple of weeks' time. Um, but once again, Max Verstappen, nearly 100 points at the top of the standings. Red Bull in an absolute league of their own. So really, we're all just looking at the fight for second. And at least there is a fight for second well and truly on. So that's something we can be grateful for. Um, but... We've got Alex Pillow on the show, in case you hadn't noticed. Uh, and uh, as well as, uh, we'll come into IndyCar, but, but obviously your McLaren connections. So your last test with, with McLaren was in Hungary, well, in, in Budapest. Um, so, so can you tell us a bit more about sort of what your role involves and what hopefully the, the plan is going forward? Um, so basically, yeah, it's not the normal reserve driver role um, as, as we're used to because I'm basically focus in IndyCar and then once my IndyCar season is done, then I'll focus on my role there. But um, it was just preparing myself. Uh, They were just giving me some track time um, just in case they need me. Um, I was fortunate enough last year to do a practice one in 
uh, Coda last year, which was amazing, an amazing experience. But obviously, I was able to do a good or an okay job for the team, giving them the info they needed um, because I had some practice before. So they just did the same, gave me some practice time, uh, some mileage, which is which is always cool, and especially at Budapest. Um, and, and yeah, my role is basically... It's going to start once my IndyCar season is, is over. Um, doing some sim for them, being at the racetrack with them and just being there if they need me. Hmm. I think one of the questions that I'm kind of keen to know about is is you race at two ends of the extreme, right? You have like America, which is pure like old school racing, old school tracks. Like, and it, it, is, it is really pure racing. And then you have like the high tech world of Formula One and you're successful at both. Like how... How do you juggle switching between cars, switching between teams, processes, procedures? Because, you know, you, you, you're getting these opportunities and you're, you're clearly maximizing them. Is there a big difference in the way that you approach either or is it just something that comes quite naturally to you? I mean, when it comes to driving the car at the end, it's just, um, it's the same, right? Like you just need to brake as late as you can, uh, which in an F1 car, it's obviously double um, the amount of how hard and how late can you break um but then in terms of procedures and how you work with the team it's obviously totally different uh here in indycar we don't uh work as much on data because basically we don't have as much data and we don't have as much time as much people so it's more old style just with your engineer with your two engineers trying to figure out the best setup while on the f1 comp side it's more focused on driving trying and maximize the aerodynamics and try and give the engineers the feedback to try and develop the car for next rounds. Um, and you don't really work as much on the setup because there's not easy stuff that you can do on the car like it's IndyCar. Like IndyCar, we can switch geometries and bars and all that stuff pretty easily in like 10 minutes. While in F1, they would struggle a lot because the car is, let's say, put on like a perfect set up yeah. or like a perfect mm. like if they want to switch springs or anything easy like that they it takes them a long time because the car is all precise and perfect so yeah it's different ways of working and also in f1 you work with 15 or 20 engineers that they there's four engineers only talking about pu and 10 engineers working and thinking about the car so it's a different process but both are obviously super fun now, it, it, you, you race for Chip Ganassi in um, in IndyCar, and there, there are three full time drivers, including yourself, with Scott Dixon and Marcus Ericsson being the other two. How how well do you get on with with those two? And, and what's you know how much sharing of data do you like to do? Are you allowed to do? How does that work from a team perspective? Yeah, I would say it, that's a thing that in US it's a bit more open. Hmm. Um, we normally. Um, we have a great relationship in the team, but we normally start with, let's say, the same car. Um, pretty much what the engineers and what the drivers think it's best. But then once you get to the track, everybody can work on different ways. Like if I want to go on a t totally different setup than what they are doing, I can do that. And so there's uh, complete freedom on that sense. And we share everything, um, like everything. And we always do a big debrief. Um, I don't think we keep stuff to our own, like in F1, they might do a bit more. Um, 
So I would say just the culture and the mentality, it's a bit different in Indica where you just, you are an open book, at least in, in the Ganassi camp. What, um, for those who don't know, I'm wondering if you could explain it to us, that the highlight of, of the IndyCar calendar is the Indy 500. It's one of the, the jewels in the crown, like Formula One, we have the Monaco Grand Prix, World Endurance, it's the 24-hour Le Mans. And the Indy 500 is a great spectacle, but the, it ended in a bit of a bizarre way this year. I don't suppose you could explain what exactly happened and why it was bizarre and then your feelings towards it. Well, in US... Um, you have a rule book like in Europe and all other championships, but in the rule book, rule number one is that uh, they can change the rules for <laughs> whatever <laughs> the best interest for the championship in terms of the show, right? So that means that there's no rule on how you end up the race and they didn't want to end the race on a red flag or a yellow or a caution or anything like that. So they basically stopped the race with one lap to go and just made a restart with one to go, which is pretty rare. We're not used to it. I don't think people liked it because it's also tough. Like we were sitting there for 15 minutes and then suddenly they start your engines and you have one lap, one restart to, to finish the biggest race of the year, which is pretty tough, honestly. So, um, yeah, I don't think everybody was a fan, but it's part of the rules. It's part of the show, and it was the same for everybody. So, yeah, it made a lot of noise out of US for sure. What what was it like being sat in the car there where you're waiting? You know that you've got the restart coming up. You know, you obviously came off the back of a a great qualifying. You're on pole. The race was more challenging. You kind of – you had a, a setback that wasn't really your fault and then you had fought your way back through. Like what, when you were sat there in the moment, was it like you were going to do everything, ever take every opportunity or were you calm? Like what was going through your head? Yeah, so it was different um, because as you said, we were coming from back. So we started on pole, then we went to the back and then we were like catching. So we needed more restarts and laps. So I was actually excited that we were going to have a one lap restart because I knew my car and the package that I had was a little bit better than the guys up front. And you never know what can happen at the Indy 500. Maybe you first and second touch a little bit and they are out of the race and suddenly we're there and, and you win the race. So um, I knew I could overtake some other cars. I overtook one, almost two. Um, so I was excited. But obviously at that moment, uh, I think it would have been a different story if you're P1 or P2, you won the race to end and suddenly they throw you into yeah. the middle of Basically the world. Marcus Ericsson. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if you're Marcus. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it's, it's tough, man, because that, that race honestly can change your life. And it did for him. So if you win it twice and two years in a row, it's even more. Um, and then you lose it like two corners to go, um, which is tough. Oh. But it's also the build-up, right? Like, you know, the whole, there's always the spectacle of the month of May. You have the race at the road course before. And it's it, like, I don't think, you know, a lot of people, the people that obviously know and love it will know about it, but it's like a whole month of build-up for one afternoon and everything yeah. goes into it. It's it's the level that goes into that one race is crazy. And as you're saying, if you win it, it changes your life. So there's there's a lot of build-up for one lap, isn't there? All comes yeah, out of that especially last lap. if it's at the end one lap, right? Like, um, you've done a full month. It's... One week of the GP, one week of practice, the qualifying, and then you are 
at the race, you do all this media stuff. Then it's finally race day. Uh, you do 198 laps and then you, they say, no, we're going to stop the race here and you're going to do a restart and just good luck. So, oh. yeah. Um, oh. For me, it was a good ending. For uh, Marcus, it wasn't. But honestly, it's um, to to be able to lose it, you, you need to be there. So um, exactly. I think it could have been a little worse for sure. Well, look, you've uh, now had, what, three wins on the bounce. You've got Toronto this weekend, isn't it? So, uh, And you're leading the championship, of course. So best of luck for the rest of the season. Um, Thank you. Before you go, though, obviously you've you said full focus on, on IndyCar and then you'll be starting to do a little bit more Formula 1. Might we see you pop up in, a, in an FP1 session at the end of the year or are there any plans to I'll be... I'll try it. Yeah. I'm trying, man. I'm pushing, <laughs> as you can imagine. But... Um... Yeah, obviously that would be an ideal scenario like we did last year. Um, I don't know where or I don't know if it's going to be 100% confirmed, but that would be the the normal plan. So yeah, we'll prepare ourselves for that and try and do a good job if we have the chance. Brilliant. Well, we uh, we really hope we can uh, see a bit more of you in the Formula 1 paddock as well. But best of luck thank you. Uh, with the rest of your IndyCar season. And thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, we are out of time, but we are going to be back next week to look ahead to Hungary. And we'll be taking a look at the driver market as well. A silly season and the summer break starts to gather traction. So make sure uh, you are following and subscribed to the WTF1 Socials YouTube channel. Uh, but in the meantime, from myself, Harry Benjamin, from Callan O'Keefe and Alex Pillow. Bye-bye.